We are getting back into the Gospel of John this morning. If you are taking notes, the title of the message this morning is Living Water. And this will be part one of a part two message. Living Water part one, we'll be studying this morning, John chapter four, verses one through 15. And before we get to the scriptures, let's go ahead and pray together. Oh, gracious Father, you are merciful. You're abounding in love. You're holy, righteous, good. We ask, oh God, that you would reveal yourself to us through the study of your written word. May your Holy Spirit empower your word to penetrate our lives in a manner that will bring you the most glory. We ask these things in our precious Lord Jesus' name. Amen. Again, we're in John chapter 4 this morning. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, if you open up to John chapter 4. If not, if you have a bulletin this morning, the text is inside your bulletin. If you could please rise to your feet and honor the public reading of God's written word. John chapter 4. I'll be reading from the ESV this morning. John chapter 4, starting in verse 1, we read, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So reads God's holy, inspired, inerrant, and authoritative word. May he write its eternal truths upon our hearts. Please be seated, church. Now, many of you probably could answer this question. Why did John record this letter? Why did he record this gospel? And we know the answer is in John chapter 20, verse 31. He records in his own writings that these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. Always keeping that at the forefront as we're studying through the book of John. 
You know, it was interesting the other day I was driving home from church and it was the day after 4th of July, I think. And as I was driving, it was like 114 degrees, it said in my car. It's hot outside. And as I'm driving through my neighborhood, there's some construction workers out there. And they're painting stripes on the street. And I thought, are you kidding me? These guys are out here. There's got to be some law against, against working outside and painting streets in 114 degrees. And yet as I drove by, I thought, how thirsty are these guys? How thirsty are these guys? You know, we often talk about thirst, but thirst is relative. These guys are outside in the heat in 114 degrees with their vests on, with all their stuff on, and they're spray painting or whatever they're doing with the, with the street out there, the stripes. And I thought, if I gave them a Coke, would that satisfy their thirst? Some of you know that wouldn't. Sugar, and it would make them more thirsty. And I said, well, Gatorade's got to, you know, quench the thirst, right? So if I gave them a Gatorade, would that quench the thirst? No, some of you know, some of you like, well, it has electrolytes. Well, that's good for them, but there's still sugar, and that's going to make them more thirsty. But you know what's going to satisfy them? Water. Some good water. That's what's going to satisfy them. It's going to bring to their physical thirst, their body, it's going to bring satisfaction. And some of you understand that very well. If you've ever been where it's hot and you were without water for a while, you were panting and you wanted water. You needed some refreshment. And when we look at the text today, we have to understand water in a different context. You see, for us, we walk out here into the hallway and press the button on the little refrigerated water and water's available to us. In the context that we're talking about today, people had to walk a long ways to go and drop a bucket down deep into a well and bring it back and pour it into a pitcher and carry it all the way back to wherever they lived. Water was a necessity, just like it is for us. But they had to go to go get it. It wasn't as simple for them. But what is greater than just the thirst of the physical body is Scripture also says that our soul thirsts. Many of you have read in the Scripture, I'll give you one example. David writes in Psalm 143, verse 6, he says, I stretch out my hands to you, my soul thirsts for you like a parched land. What great imagery. Land that hasn't had the rains and is all dried up and breaking up. He's saying, my soul thirsts. So as we look at this text today, yes, there is water that's going to meet a physical body need of thirst. But Jesus is going to speak about something far greater. He's going to be speaking about something the soul needs, that the soul is thirsting after. So if you're taking notes this morning, Again, the title is Living Water. We'll be looking at three points. The first point is the source of this living water. The second one is the offer of the living water. And then we'll look at the benefits of the living water. So we'll start with our first point this morning, the source. And if you look back to your scriptures this morning, we're going to look at the first four verses together. John chapter 4, reading again verses 1 through 4. It says, now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that, excuse me, now when he had learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, that's John the Baptist, and then there's a parenthetical insert that Jesus himself was not actually baptizing, just his disciples. It says, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. I'm going to stop there for a second. I'll read verse 4 in just a moment. But here there's commotion. Pharisees are hearing about Jesus and what was going on. And his time had not yet come. So he didn't want to draw the attention, so he leaves that place, and he goes on. And we read in verse 4 something interesting. It says, and he 
had to pass through Samaria. That word in the Greek, it was necessary for him to go through Samaria. But if you study the history of the geography of the land, most Jews didn't go through Samaria on their way. They took the long way around because they didn't want to go to where the Samaritans were. So Jesus is actually taking a shortcut. But it's interesting, it doesn't say Jesus wanted to take a shortcut, went through Samaria. It says he had to go through Samaria. Church, what we're going to see this morning is Jesus had a divine appointment. Jesus being called by the Father, commissioned by the Father, is commissioned to go through Samaria. There's somebody there he is going to meet. And why is that? Because of who he is. He is the Son of Man. We read in Luke 19.10 that he came to seek and to save the lost. And we look at this, what's going on, and we say, well, he was just wearied and tired and thirsty. We have to understand far greater than that, he was on mission. And in obedience to the Father, he has to go through Samaria. Continuing on in the text, verses 5 and 6, it says he came to a town of Samaria called Sichar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. When you think of Jesus, what, what comes to mind? Oftentimes, many of us say, well, he's God. Jesus is God. But do you often think about his humanity? See, 100% God, but also 100% human. And we read here that he was wearied from his journey. When you think of Jesus in your mind's eye, do you think of a wearied Jesus? You don't, right? That doesn't come to mind. But the scriptures tell us of his humanity. They tell us that he was wearied, that he was hungry, that he was thirsty. He experienced a lot of things that we experience. 100% human. Josephus, the Jewish historian, said it was about a three days journey that Jesus just went on. Now, as I was studying this and I was running errands, I just thought, what happens if I just drove? I mean, what happens if I just walked to these places? It's a lofty idea. It didn't go very far into fruition. I didn't actually get out of the car and begin walking. I just thought, in this day and age, you were going somewhere, you used these guys. You just got out and got on your feet and you went. And he journeyed for three days to get back to Galilee, which, by the way, that's where he did the first miracle at the wedding in Cana that was in Galilee. So he's back. But think about the humanity of Christ. And how does that affect us? One is, he's a Savior, yes, but he also is a Savior who understands everything that we go through. He wore flesh just like we wore flesh. We read in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, that we do not have a high priest, this being Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So we can look at Jesus and say, Jesus is Savior, He is Lord, He is God, but He was also 100% human. Church, for us, what does that mean? It means He knows exactly what you're going through. He knows what it's like to be in need of water. He knows what it's like to go through and be weary and to be tired. How about you? Have you been through a season where you're tired, worn out, weary? Jesus understands. He's been there. 
We also read later in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3, that when we're being attacked and persecuted, not to get discouraged, but to look to the example of Christ. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3 says, Consider him, being Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Let me ask you this, Christian. Is it easy always to be a Christian? No. Look at the people around you who lie, steal, cheat, and get ahead, and, and get promoted, and everything else, and then you walk with integrity and righteousness, and you're watching them prosper. We read that in the Psalms. But we look to Christ, who is not only the King of kings and Lord of lords, but he's the one who came as a servant. And he came, and he was mocked, and he was ridiculed, he was spit on. Think about that when someone mocks you, when someone slanders you. Think about the example of Christ. The humanity of Christ is there to encourage us that we have a Savior, the source of living water, who can empathize with us. That we don't have to be ashamed when we go to Him in prayer and say, Lord, help, that He understands. He's a God who empathizes. He understands. You know, it's interesting as we speak about being wearied, because those of us who have walked in the Christian walk know that there are times we become weary. There are times we become faint-hearted. There are times that we want to just stop and take a rest. Anybody know anything about King David when he got into trouble? See, King David, the Bible says, was a man with a heart after God's own heart. And I believe it's 1 Samuel 12. Some of you will check the Bereans, make sure, but... It was a time when kings were supposed to go out to battle. And he decided to stay home and take a break. Not good things happened. So when he went to the rooftop and he sees somebody over yonder taking a bath on the rooftop, no doubt her name because she was taking a bath, it was Bathsheba. And like the cartoons, his eyeballs went, awooga, awooga. And then you know the rest. It was not good. But David obviously was weary. He was tired. He wanted to stay home and rest. He did not want to go out and continue doing what he was called by God to do. And when he stopped, trouble hit. Jesus is tired. Jesus goes up, sits next to his well or on this well, and he's wearied. But he doesn't stop to, to minister to others. Here comes the Samaritan woman. And in his weariness, he's going to minister to her. He's not going to say, you know what, this one, I got a timeout. I'm not doing this one. He's going to minister anyway. R. Kent Hughes said something interesting. He said this. He said, we will never do great things for God until we've learned to minister when we're tired. You know, there, you could unpack that. We can do a whole study on that. Because when we're full of energy, we often rely on our own strength. But when we're spent and we have nothing left, oh, God, help me. And that's his power, his strength. R. Kent Hughes went on to list other people who were tired. He said, Luther said he worked so hard that he, when he went to bed, he literally fell into bed. Like, didn't lay. He poof, fell into bed. He said, in fact, one account says he did not change his bed for a year. Now, that's nasty. Someone's got to help this guy out. Moody's bedtime prayer on one occasion was, Lord, I am tired. Amen. Some of you can agree with that prayer. Lord, I'm tired. Calvin's biographers marvel at his output. John Wesley rode 60 to 70 miles a day 
on an average, he preached three sermons a day. These are guys that were tired. You look at missionaries all around the globe, guess what? They're tired, but they're pressing on because they have a well of living water. They have a well to go and dump a bucket into and continue to pull out the overflowing of the living water that we're looking at today. That even though their body is weary, they're able to press on. The source of living water is Jesus Christ. He is the example of what it looks like to live out the living water. To go and serve even when we are tired. Point number two this morning is the offer. The source, Jesus Christ. The offer now in point number two. We read in verses 7 through 9. We'll backtrack to the latter half of verse 6. I want to read that. It said it was about the sixth hour. We'll pick up on that in a second. But a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Okay, first thing we see at the latter half of verse 6, it was about the sixth hour. The Jewish day starts at 6 a.m. and goes till 6 p.m. That's the day. The sixth hour would be at noon. It is the hottest part of the day. And we read from the Old Testament, most of the women went in the evening, when it was the cool of day, to get water at the well. What was she doing there at the hottest part of the day? It is a time that nobody else would come. It would speak that she was a social outcast, that she didn't want to be at the well when the other women were at the well, when those would be snickering at her and talking about her. As a matter of fact, we're not studying all of chapter 4 today, but if you read on, she was a sexually immoral woman. Because of that, she had shame. And because of that, she was an outcast. And she would come to the well at noonday when no one was else there, and she would also bear the heat of the day. Interesting enough, she also didn't go to a local well. She went to a well far away that none of the people from her area were because she didn't want to be there and hear them gesturing about her, talking about her, talking about her reputation. She wanted to avoid the gathering at all costs. Again, why? We read later in the chapter, she's a sexually immoral woman. And she asked Jesus, how is it that you, a Jew, would ask me, a Samaritan, for a drink of water? See, the cultural norm of the day prohibited public conversation, first of all, between a man and a woman. So the fact that he was a man engaging her in conversation, that blew her mind right there. But what she asked specifically was, how is it that you're a Jew and I am a Samaritan and you ask of me? Some of you know your history when Israel was divided up into two areas, the north and the southern kingdom. The north ended up getting conquered and taken over by the Assyrians. They went up and the Jews that went out in captivity ended up intermarrying with the Kuttites. Not a good thing. God said don't intermarry. They went intermarried. Took on their culture, took on their pagan gods, everything else. But the southern kingdom, which got captured and ruled by Babylon, they stayed pure. They didn't intermarry. They were pure-blooded Jews. And because of that, this rivalry came between the two. The south being pure-blooded Jews, and those of the north, now Samaritans, were seen as a mixed blood and seen as less than. They had all kinds of superstitions, all kinds of different things and what they believed religiously. A little bit of what the Jews believed, a little bit of what the Kuttites believed. 
and they did not get along. So much so that Jewish rabbis would say, let no man eat the bread of the Kittites, that's the Samaritans, for he who eats their bread is as he who eats swine's flesh. Those are the rabbis. The popular Jewish prayer of those days was, and Lord, do not remember the Samaritans in the resurrection. Not much love in that prayer. But that was the animosity between these two people groups. The animosity was great. So here she is flabbergasted that Jesus, being a Jew, would speak to her. You know, it's interesting. We see a lot of contrast between the first person Jesus talked to in his ministry and now this the second person. The first person being Nicodemus in chapter 3. And now we have the Samaritan woman in chapter 4. Nicodemus was a Jew. Here you have the Samaritan. She's mixed blood. Nicodemus, a highly respected religious leader. Here we have the Samaritan woman. She's a despised, immoral woman. Nicodemus, obviously a male. Samaritan woman, a female. Nicodemus is mentioned by name. She's just mentioned as the Samaritan woman. Nicodemus came by night, this woman by day. We can go on and on with the contrast between the two. The question is, what's so significant about the contrast? What is the significance? Well, when it comes to the offer of living water, race, sex, social status, past sins, it does not matter doesn't matter. It's freely given to all who will come. All who will come and receive. It doesn't matter the race, the sex, the social status, the sin, the shame. It does not matter. The offer of living water crosses all boundaries. And it crushes all prejudices. James Montgomery Boyce said this. He said, if Nicodemus is an example of the truth, that no one can rise so high as to be above salvation. The woman is an example of the truth that none can sink too low. There's a great contrast there. You have a religious leader. He can't rise above it. And the immoral woman can't sink too low. That the offer is for all. James Montgomery Boyce goes on and says this. He says, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? He says, if you do not, you should learn that the gospel is much for you as it is for anyone and that you need it as much as did the respected Nicodemus or the immoral woman of Samaria. We all need the gospel. We continue in verse 4 of our text this morning. Turner replies, how could you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a Samaritan woman? Jesus replies to her in verse 10. He says, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. You know, it's interesting, because Jesus did like a, a Mr. Miyagi on this one. He came and was the one that was thirsty. But what does he do? He points out that she has a much greater thirst. That truly, she is the one that is thirsty. She is the one that is in need of living water. He says, if you knew of this gift, what gift? Specifically, he's speaking of the Holy Spirit, the living water. But the gift of the Holy Spirit comes through the gift of salvation. We read in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith. 
And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It's a gift of God. So the question to you, church, is what can you do to earn salvation? Nothing. There's nothing. It's a free gift. It's a free gift. But Jesus here says if you knew the gift, salvation is tied to the giving of the Holy Spirit. We read about this in Acts chapter 10, verse 45. We read that as the believers, or the believers from among the circumcised who had come to Peter, they were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was being poured out even on the Gentiles. It's the gift. That if you are here this morning and you have received the offer, you have now been filled with living water. That you have a well that never dries up. That you have replenishment at all times. That you have grace upon grace. This is good news, church. This woman, however, as Jesus tells her, she doesn't understand what he's speaking of. She says to him in verses 11 and 12, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with. She's looking at him going, he doesn't have a bucket. He has nothing to get this living water he speaks of. She goes, the well is, is deep. Where do you get the living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from himself, as did his sons and his livestock. By the way, this really embittered the Jews that they would take ownership of Jacob's well and have it in their territory and everything else, even speak of Jacob, even though they had all other religions mixed in. This really infuriated the Jews. But she spoke of it. This is Jacob's well. How are you going to get this living water? Church, she didn't get it. She thinks Jesus is still talking about some fresh spring, deeper springs, some fresh water. You know, it's interesting in the Old Testament, God referred to himself as the fountain of living water. Twice we read that if you're taking notes in Jeremiah 2.13. And Jeremiah 17, 13, that God refers to himself as the fountain of living water. Jeremiah 2, 13 and 17, 13. So again, this offer, it goes out to all people. It goes out to each of you here today. Some of you have already received the living water. You have a never-ending flow of God's grace. There is no well that will dry up. That when you are weary and you're tired, you have a source to replenish you, to refresh you. That's part of the benefits we'll see in point number three this morning. Point number three is the benefits. John chapter 4, verses 13 through 15, we read, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Church, what is he offering her? Eternal life, salvation, and the gift of his spirit. That when Jesus said, lo, I'll be with you till the end of the age, that no matter where you go, what you do, no matter how tired you are, no matter how much suffering you're going through, he is with you. And that his grace would be sufficient to help you to endure all things in life. You ever been to the point where you're like, woe is me. Where are you, God? Woe is me. If you have 
living water. You have a well. You have a plethora of His Spirit at all times. Jesus saying of Himself, we read in John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39, it says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and He cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to Me and drink. Whoever believes in Me, as the Scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as of yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. He had not yet ascended back to heaven. But he has now, church. And when the gift of salvation comes to you, so does the gift of the Holy Spirit. So does the gift of rivers of living water. Life being brought to the soul that although this physical body may thirst as mine is right now, my soul will never thirst again because of Jesus Christ. And many of you experience that. The soul will now panteth for Him. It will seek after Him. We read in Isaiah 12.3, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. With joy. The wells. The living water. We know God has to do a miracle. That He has to take dead people and make them alive. He's got to take our sick, old, wretched hearts and give us new hearts. That miracle we read in Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 and 27. God says, I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you, living water. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. These are the benefits. What would lead up to eternal life. For those of us who have responded in faith and repentance, we have received living water. But for those of us who have never responded in faith and repentance, you must receive the free gift of salvation. You must receive the gift of living water. That your soul that pants after everything. This woman was sexually immoral because she longed after something that would satisfy her. And she thought that was going to be in men. And it was one man after the next man, after the next man, after the next man, after the next man. On to the next man. And that wasn't doing it. And for some of us, we've done something similar, that we're seeking after something that will satisfy our soul, and there's nothing there. There's nothing new under the sun. It is all vanity. Vanity of vanities, the Scripture tells us. But there's living water that's available for all of us that will satisfy the soul. And that is what comes to us, that Jesus says, come and taste Come and drink. And that takes us to respond to Him. If this morning you have not responded to Christ, I urge you, I plead with you this morning, receive the living water. Turn to Him in repentance. It means turn from living life your way and turn to Him to follow Him and receive Him. Follow Him. Obey Him. But what about us this morning who have done that? And some of you look at me and say, Pastor, you spoke of this, this living water that Jesus said you'll never thirst again, yet this morning, thirsty. And I'm not talking about the water bottle. 
I feel like I, there's something more. I, I'm missing something. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, what is missing is just the vantage point. That your perspective has gone back down this way instead of upward. That when you get your eyes fixed upon Him again and dip as it would be a bucket back into that well of living water, the refreshment to your soul, the joy of your salvation once again, that you would not grow weary or faint-hearted, but God would strengthen you through the refreshing of His Spirit. Church, if that is you this morning, turn to Him. He will refresh you. He'll remind you of His goodness, His faithfulness, His living water that would flow over you. I think like the Nestle plunge where you just fall back into the pool and you get refreshed. How much greater would the living water be to refresh our souls? That we've grown tired and weary. You have a well that is available to you at all times to refresh you, to strengthen you, to encourage you. You have a God and Savior who understands and empathizes with what you're going through. Turn to Him. Be encouraged in Him. Be strengthened in Him. Let's pray, church. Father, you are the giver of every good and perfect gift. May your living water refresh many of the saints here today. May they bask in the never-ending flow of your grace and your presence. For anyone here who has not come to Christ, I pray, O oh God, that you would draw them to repentance and faith. I pray that they would turn wholeheartedly to you and receive your spirit that will comfort them and guide them through every peak and every valley in life so that they will never thirst again. And it's in the Lord Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.